Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am interviewing Tasha Toasty. Tasha is a competitor in pageants. Uh, she has this amazing platform all about mental health and body positivity called Imperfectly Perfect that she shares quite a bit in this episode. Um, but Tasha really came on today to talk about her story growing up always trying to be something for somebody else, not really knowing who she was. Um, she struggled with an eating disorder at an early age and through lots of different things, including therapy, including um, focusing on her physical health, she has really learned to love who she is. Tasha is still actively competing in pageants. Um, and for those of you, such as myself, who maybe don't understand the pageant world, it is a really incredible peek inside to understand how this amazing woman who yes is a competitor in pageants has this awesome platform stands for so much and you know what if you have struggled with body image if you have struggled with your self-worth or knowing who you are Tasha is really going to inspire you my name is Katie Allen and this is self-love ignited let's get to it Welcome back to Self Love Ignited. Today on the podcast, I am interviewing Tasha Toasty, and I have confirmed that is how you say her name. Um, Tasha, I'm really excited to have you here with me today. Why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself to everybody? Well, first off, Katie, thank you so much for having me. I am very excited for today, but just to get into a little bit of my background. So I'm a recruiter by trade. I work at a company um, called Spreetail. We're an e-commerce company. So I spend my days eight to five interviewing people from all backgrounds around the world, um, getting to hear about their passion and their story and what they want to do with their life, which I love. Um, and I'm, I feel very passionate. Um, my personal life, I am married. We're uh, going on four years and we have two fur babies, Rizzo and Piper, uh, a 75 pound dog and a 10 pound dog, because why not? <laughs> and maybe the two most spoiled dogs you'll ever meet. We take them to daycare. They're very spoiled, but we love them dearly. <laughs> um, but I, in my, my free time, I spend a lot of time advocating for mental health. It's a big part of my life, which obviously we'll get into a little bit later. But on top of that, I compete in pageants. I have since I was very little. Um, 13 years old was when I started. And now I am married, so I compete in the Mrs. system. So actually, in less than two weeks from today, um, April 2nd, I will be competing at Mrs. Nebraska. So I'm currently Mrs metro but part of competing in patents is you get to have a platform and a platform is essentially your advocacy what you're passionate about it can be anything um for me i advocate for and i talk speak a lot about my platform called imperfectly perfect which focuses on teaching all aspects of health and how all aspects of health play into each other and how once you are, focus on all areas mental physical emotional you're able to really find your self-love and that imperfectly perfect self. I love that. I love that. I was so happy when you and I were connected, like, because, and we talked about this when we first, when we first chatted a few weeks back, how in the States, like the pageant world is like a thing. Like it, yes. it is a thing. It's not like an uncommon thing. And I'm Canadian and it's, it's not a thing here. Like it's, it's not a really, I mean, I'm sure it exists, but it's not common. Yep. You know, so I think a lot of people outside of the U.S. don't really under 
understand it. They don't really understand the system. They don't understand how it works. The fact that you have a platform that it's not just like you on stage in a bikini. It's like, there's so much more than that. And I love that we're going to get into that because I love what you stand for and what you're doing and how you're changing people's lives. I think it's amazing. And the fact that you do it through pageants is fascinating to me. <laughs> well, thank you. And yeah, no, it's a, it's very common. Most people don't understand whenever I meet someone that's never watched a pageant because there are a lot of them even here in the States oh, yeah. that know nothing. And I always tell them, you know, there's so much more that goes into it. I, as you said, most people imagine a girl with a crown and a bikini and a really pretty dress. And that's as far as pageants go. There is so much behind the scenes that goes into it. And every pageant, because there are a million systems that exist. So systems are Miss America or Miss USA or Miss Canada, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, there are lots that exist. And, but each one of them still has some foundation of community service, some bigger than others in each pageant. But it's always a aspect of every pageant because the focus of pageants when they started a hundred years ago was to better women and give women a platform. And so over time, they have evolved in a very good way to really focus on the platform being what are you passionate about? What do you want to advocate for? And a lot of women across the entire world that can be in pageants do some of the most amazing things, um, have some of the most amazing nonprofits, do advocacy work and community service around the world. So there's a lot more that goes into it than pretty dresses and crowns. Yeah. And, so, yeah. and, I, and I love informing people and I love when people don't know because I get excited to tell them that there's so much more to it than just that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Tasha, I want to hear your story. So this podcast, Self Love Ignited, it's all about telling the stories of people who've gone from not loving themselves, not liking themselves, not honoring themselves, whatever that may be, to really like loving and accepting who they are and telling the story of that journey. So if I ask you, like, where did your struggles or where did your challenges with yourself begin? Like, take us back to the beginning. What did that look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. I the first very distinct thing I can remember where I knew I wasn't loving myself, I was probably 9, 10, 11 age-wise. And I remember I I was at that stage of hitting puberty and I, I gained some weight as a lot of young women and men do at that stage in life. And I remember laying in bed and I couldn't sleep without a pillow under my stomach because I couldn't handle the feeling of my stomach touching the bed, which is the most bizarre thing that sounds, but it was just like a comfort thing for me that I could like basically squeeze my stomach in by putting a pillow and I would wrap my entire body around it. So that my stomach would squeeze in such a weird thing, but I still have a very vivid, vivid memory of those, that moment in time. Um, and that struggle that early and that young in my life. And over time that evolved into an eating disorder. I was, I had anorexia. Um, I quit eating. I, there was a point in my life where I was probably 14, 15, where I was eating a salad with no dressing on it. And so basically iceberg lettuce, um, a protein shake, and I would eat frozen grapes at night. And that was all I was putting into my body for an entire day for a very long point in time. Um, and I ended up passing out because of course you're going to. Um, and that's how my parents found out. Uh, I was competing in pageants at that point in time. They are a point of part of this story um, and a part of my journey in both negative and positive ways. Obviously I was getting on stage and being judged. And so there's that aspect that 
obviously probably played a piece into it, but over the journey, pageants actually became a way that I learned a lot about myself and learned how to take better care of myself. So they, it plays both sides of it um, because I know it probably was in the back of my mind of, hey, you're going to get on a stage. Um, you need to be skinny. And, but thankfully they did also teach me how to t- take care and love myself at the same time. So there was both sides to it, but my parents did find out um, I was diagnosed with anorexia at 15 and got the help that I needed, um, thankfully at that time and did find the one thing that I found at that point in time was being active. I wasn't very active. I was a dancer, but other than that, I didn't really do a lot um, outside of that. And I became a cross country runner in high school, kind of almost at the end of high school. And I had two very amazing coaches who knew that I had struggled with anorexia. And so every single day they were my teachers as well. Um, And they would come in and ask me every time I would go to their classes, hey, have you eaten today? Hey, have you eaten today? And I don't know if either of them know if how much that probably helped me get past those moments Mm -hmm. um, and get to the point that I was more comfortable eating because they were like, Hey, you can't go run five miles with us today if you haven't eaten any food. Um, And so they were very conscious of that. Um, They kept food in their fridges for me. Um, And so if I said, they would make me tell them what I ate. And if I hadn't eaten enough, they would make me take food from them and eat it in front of them. And so having those people in my life that cared enough, um, and I knew how important it was that I was taking care of myself was amazing. Um, I probably have never thanked them for it, which they very much deserve a very big thank you for the impact that they made in my health journey. Um, and so at that point in time, I, I still don't think I probably understood how to love myself. I was still struggling. High school to college is a very pivotal point in life. And I think a lot of us don't really know who we are walking into college and walking into those big moments into life. And I very much did not. I went from a town of 600 people to a university um, on the other side of the state, about eight hours from home. I was very excited to do it. I thought I was ready. I was here. I'm going to go. I don't fit in in this small town. Uh, I need to be in a, in a city, which 250,000 people is not really a city, but in my mind, it was <laughs> 600 to 250,000 is a big change. Yes. So, <laughs> um, and so I, I joined a sorority. I rushed, did the whole thing, um, really dove into college. And I, my freshman year, I was someone that in high school, I naturally did well. I went to a small school. It's easy to do naturally well in a small school. Never was taught how to study, never was in big lecture halls. My classes had 15 people in them. And then all of a sudden I had 150 people a person lecture hall. I was an AA student, honor roll. And then then my first semester of college, I was a C student. And that was really, really hard on my self-worth too, because I ended up being um, a first-generation college graduate. But at that time, no one in my family had completed college. No one in my family knew. So I also didn't have the the parents to help me through that because they hadn't completed college. They didn't really understand in the colleges that they had gone to for a short period of time were very small colleges close to home. Mm-hmm. I was in a sorority. I was struggling through university. They just didn't really understand what I was dealing with um, and didn't really know how to help me through that either. And it really affected my self-worth a lot. And I was like, I had put a lot of self-worth into graduating college because I wanted to be the first and I'm the oldest of two, of three. And I really wanted to show my siblings that, you know, graduating college was important. And I put more worth into that degree than I probably should have 
Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that graduating college isn't a very important thing, but there's also other things people can do with different degrees as well that I've learned over time. And in my sorority as well, I was elected president at one point in time and had a couple girls that weren't very happy about that and found a way around getting me unelected president. Mm-hmm. And that was probably one of the lowest points in my life, as crazy as that sounds. I had really spent a couple of years finding these people as my family, as my sisters. They had helped build my self-worth because eventually this was junior year. I'd gone through a couple of years of college started to find myself and really felt that they were a part of that journey. Um, And then to be unelected president um, out of pettiness was very hard for me. And I really hit probably the most rock bottom I've ever hit in my life after that. Mm -hmm. I almost failed out of college um, that next semester. I then thankfully started probably was the most important part of my journey, which was seeing a therapist. I had seen therapists in the past, but it was a forced situation through my parents. I had never chosen and taken my own step into therapy. And I did in that moment, Uh, I took my own true step into therapy and said, I need to do this for myself. And it became something I took very seriously. And I started to have a therapist talk to me about, Hey, you know, you realize that a lot of your self-worth is around graduating college. A lot of your self-worth is around, very materialistic things. I mean, I was competing in pageants. So there was a part of that too, that was a little bit materialistic. Are you, what are you doing for yourself? And that was the question I remember the most. What in this, do, what do you love about what you do? What, is there anything you enjoy or is this just all for show? Is this all for showing people that you're worthy to them? And I realized, yeah, I'm doing things for everyone else. I'm doing things too so that other people find me worthy mm-hmm. and rather than I find my own self-worth in those moments. And it did take me some time after that. I'm in that point in time, I met my husband um, and he has always been a big part of my journey and helping me um, find my own self-love. But it was a part of our relationship was me having to find myself love during that. It is easier to be in a relationship when you know how to love yourself. Um, he has had to follow my journey of me falling in love with myself at the same time as falling in love with him, which does come with its own challenges, but we are very happy and uh, today, but he has had his own struggles and could tell you some stories of me kind of having to find myself during our relationship. And I graduated college and had kind of another point of, I had worked through therapy and kind of understood where it was coming from, but still when I graduated college, I had like, what's next? What's the next big moment for me? What's, and I had realized that I had started to understand that and have an understanding of, yes, I put a lot of self-worth into what others think about me and I could at least register that I was doing it, but I still was like, oh no, I don't have another big thing to work towards. What's the next big thing I'm going to do? I just graduated college. I was a first generation college graduate. Now what's next? What's the next big thing I can do? I was done competing in pageants. All of my big things that I had put so much worth into were gone. And I tried to find other things. I had a full-time job, obviously I was working and I realized, okay, this is a time where I do truly, I'm forced to, I don't have anything. I'm working eight to five and there's, there's nothing else in my life right now that I can focus on other than just myself. And in those moments is when I found 
fitness, again, being a big aspect of just getting my stress out um, and getting to be a point of finding that community and those people that I needed to cheer me on in those moments. And I worked through that. I joined the gym that was a very small gym that became a big point of the people that loved me and cheered me on during those points in life. Mm -hmm. And in those moments, I was thankful that then I kind of, I came back to pageants. I took a couple of years off and then I got married and I really, the first time I competed in a Mrs. Pageant, which was two years ago, was the first time I walked on a pageant stage feeling like I was myself. And it's the best I've ever done at a pageant as well, ironically, um, of course, because that's how that works. And um, I think that journey really came from just taking a couple of years to have no big moments in life, um, to have no big things to work for other than working on myself and therapy and fitness played a big aspect into that. But a lot of it was just my husband saying, hey, you just need to take some time for yourself. You need to take some time and do some self digging to realize who you are as a person, um, realize that the people that you have in your life, you need to have them in your life for the right reasons. Um, and you need to quit as he likes to remind me, keeping up with the Joneses, um, <laughs> cause I do it a lot. <laughs> um, and so I've worked very hard to not care so much about what other people think. Um, not be focused on doing things because it's going to look good. Um, I do things now because I love them. I don't do them because it's a good check mark in my life. Um, it's a check mark that everyone wants me to do. Um, and so I think back to the one big thing that most I, women especially will understand is I've been married for four years. I'm hitting 30 and I have no children. Um, and I'm from a small town and that is a very required thing I'm going to say for most women in a small town. Mm -hmm. And I have chosen not to at this point in time, not to say I never will, but it was when I told my parents, Hey, I don't know if I'm going to have kids if, when I will, what it will look like if I ever do. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the first time I'd ever said to them, like truly, Hey, this is what I want. And I, I just kind of don't care what you have to say. I love you, but I don't care what you have to say about it because I'm doing this for me. Um, and so my journey has no big, I has pivotal moments of my rock bottoms and realizing things. But what I love to say about self-love is it's a constant journey. There is no ending. There may be pivotal moments during it that played a part into your highs and lows but it goes on forever. There is never an ending to finding yourself in self-love. Um, so the journey can look very different for each individual person, Yeah. but a lot of it is going to come back to, you're going to know your highs and your lows, but a lot of the best moments are going to just be those in-between moments of mm -hmm. just, I've found acceptance of myself and I just feel good. And as I thought back to preparing for this, that's what I thought of as I was like, you know, I have my highs and my lows of these moments, but at the same time, the happiest I've been are the in-between moments of where I just, I, lo I love myself. I love myself and I'm good with who I am today. And those were my best moments. And they don't have a big story around them because it's what I worked for. And it's what I got to do every single day is just love myself. And so though the highs and lows play a part, it's not the, the whole story. It's just a piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. I love your story, Tasha. I think that it's so relatable, like to be honest and exactly what you said, right? Like there's highs and there's lows. And I feel like that's what a lot of people focus on because they're, they're the big things, 
they're the really hard yeah. things they're the really great things but like the vast majority of life is in the in-between and that's where like the beauty is and that's where the balance is and that's where like the peace of mind is and like that's what we want we don't want to live on a high all the time do you know how exhausting that would be like like yes. you could like you couldn't <laughs> like none of us could maintain that we just couldn't like that's not the goal right yeah. it's it's like getting married and being like the like day like the celebration the wedding this is going to be every day like can you imagine that's exhausting like yes it's a big day and it's exciting and then you have normal life that's what a marriage yeah. is yeah yeah so it's, it's the same thing right it's all your relationship yeah. with yourself it's like the daily stuff it's good um and I wanted to you use the term a couple of times but I do want to check in does this feel like a journey of self love to you self-acceptance like what what feels most true to you where you are right now I think a couple of years ago it was a journey of self-acceptance mm-hmm. um because I think you have to first accept yourself before you can love yourself and so I I feel like I probably spent you know nine to 26 27 just finding that acceptance piece of who I was and accepting who I was as a person and not apologizing for it and just authentically being who I was. And then I feel like I'm going to say the word graduated into the, the self-love journey. And as I've said, it's a journey. It's, I will not say I'm not going to have a will again um, because it, it happens to everyone. Um, and that's part of what my platform is, is telling people that you can go through these journeys and have these really big highs and find time to accept and love yourself. Mm-hmm. But if you're not focusing on your health, especially mental health, you can hit the lows again. It's yeah. very easy to do if you're not taking care of yourself. And so, but right now today, I'm, I'm happy that I'm on my self-love journey. I know I've accepted myself and I get to now love myself and work on loving myself every single day in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I'm curious how have your relationships with your parents, with your siblings, with your friends, with your husband, I know you said you sort of met him near the beginning of, of, of this for you, how have those relationships, relationships shifted and grown and changed as your relationship with yourself has grown and changed? Yeah. I mean, I, I've had friendship breakups because of it Mm -hmm. and that, that kind of pivotal time of, getting past the acceptance into the love. I had a really big friendship breakup during that point in time that was someone that I had been friends with since college. Um, someone that I spoke with every single day. And I realized as I was getting to that point of accepting and loving myself, that person wasn't there and they were negative and bringing me down every single day. And it got to the point where I had to say, you know, Hey, I will never not love you as a friend. You're someone that's been a big part of my life, but I am just, I've outgrown this relationship. It's a really hard thing to do, but I knew over time and I'm not going to pretend like it, you know, one day I figured it out and I needed it. There was a lot of struggle to get to that point. And it's, it's scary to do. Honestly, I think breaking up with a friend is harder than breaking up with a significant (laughs) other. (laughs) And I, uh, I had to have that conversation after a very low point um, and realizing that it was affecting how I felt about myself. Our relationship was. Mm-hmm. And then that's kind of when I said, hey, this, this relationship needs to be over. But for you know most of the other relationships, my relationship with my parents has evolved and changed over time as I became an adult. I think as most people probably can say with their parents, 
my parents live a vastly different life than I do. They live out in the country in a very small town. I live in a city. Um, we're very different people in the way we view the world. And so I think though, as I've gotten more confident in myself, um, rather than my parents feeling like they need to work to change me to be more like them, mm -hmm. they've gotten to the point of just accepting me. And I think part of that was I accepted myself. And so they no longer felt like they could try to change me. And it became very evident that I had fully found who I was as a person mm -hmm. and kind of their job as a parent was done. They didn't need to mold me anymore. Parents are always going to be a part of your life, but I think they realized, Hey, she's found who she is. We can't really mold her anymore. She may be very different than we are and view the world in a very different way than we do, but they still love me for who I am. I still love them for who they are, but they're no longer trying to change me and mold me as parents do. Um, but yeah, with my husband, um, he's, as I said, it's, it's been struggles. There's been struggles as I've been, he's been a part of the journey since day one. He's very phenomenal and amazing. And honestly, as I, he came into my life, I talked a lot about mental health and self-love and he did a lot of his own research of, you know, how to, you know, be in a relationship with someone with depression and anxiety. I didn't speak about that before, but that is a big part of my story as well. Um, and, you know, part of that. And so he did a lot of research on his own at the beginning of our relationship, which I will forever love him for. I think it's why our relationship was as healthy as it was because he did the, the legwork to understand that. But part of it was he understood that I needed to learn how to accept myself too. Mm -hmm. um, he is someone that I think accepted himself a very long time ago. He is a fortunate person that just knew who he was fairly young in life. Um, and I am, feel very lucky to have him though, because he has taught me a lot about loving and accepting yourself. He's very shamelessly himself mm -hmm. and has been since the day that we met and he doesn't apologize for who he is. And he is part of how I've learned how to unapologetically be myself. That's amazing. Oh, that's it. You, you got a good one. It sounds like you got a good I one. I have a good one. Yeah. yeah I have yeah. a good one. I think you did. Very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Tasha, tell us more about your platform. As yeah. you have grown as a person, as you have come to accept yourself and love yourself, and you said you took a couple of years off pageants and now you're back in, how has your platform grown and changed? And tell us a little bit more about who exactly you help. Like, what does that look like? Yeah. I'm so curious about this. Yeah. So my platform actually used to be called perfectly imperfect. Mm -hmm. Um, and I realized I actually have a coach because in patents, we have coaches just like sports do because mm -hmm. it's still a craft you have to master in some way, shape or form. So that is something that always shocks people. We do have coaches. They're phenomenal people that help us learn how to walk correctly and speak and build on these platforms and understand how to you know, a lot of them are, are coaches. Um, I, they don't just coach pageants, most of them coach other things as well, life coaches, different types of coaches, but a lot of them then have an aspect of pageants as well. Um, and so she said to me a couple of years ago, you know, why do you call it perfectly imperfect? Why don't we focus on the positive at the end? Um, because you're imperfectly perfect. And then, and I was like, Hey, you're right. So that's one way my pageant, my platform has evolved. And I was like, you're right. You should focus on the positive at the end, not, at, you know, the, the beginning. And so, you know, over time it's been called, um, it used to just be called self-love. Um, and then I changed it to perfect, imperfectly, per, or perfectly per, imperfect. Wow. Um, it's changed. We're switch back <laughs> and forth so much. Um, but you know, at one point in time, it just was talking about my own journey at first when mm -hmm. I was still in college and I was still finding myself, mm -hmm. 
I realized I probably just more told my story. Um, and that was really all I could do because honestly, I was still in the middle of that story. Um, in the last couple of years, as I've more found myself and found to love myself, it's turned into telling my story, but also empowering others to tell their story. Mm -hmm. um, my story is still a big part of that. And my journey of finding my health, my mental health, my physical, my emotional, um, I speak about spiritual health too. And spiritual health, not in the fact of going to church, but spiritual health means something different for each person. Um, and having all four of those aspects being a part of it for each individual person. And so what I do is I work with other organizations. I did lose my cousin to suicide five years ago. Um, her name was Kelia Shea. She also competed in pageants. Her platform was called Stopping the Stigma, which was focused on mental health. And so her story has built onto my story. And so I speak a lot about mental health and suicide too, as a part of it. So I work with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, um, which is here and based in the States. Um, I also recently became an ambassador for Body Positivity um, podcast. So I will work to, um, with them. But really what the groundwork looks like for me is working with organizations locally, primarily um, I have an organization I work with called You Go Girl, and um, then any organization that wants to bring me in to tell stories. I focus a lot on young girls, um, but I've spoken to women, to men of all ages and telling my story and then empowering them to tell theirs and understanding that all of us are on a journey and that we have to tell our stories to get there and making talking about health, all aspects of health normal for people and making it normal that everyone's health journey is different. Um, my mental health journey is different. Your mental health journey is different. Physical journey is different. It looks different for each person. And then helping people find the experts they need. It's always been a big part of it for me as I tell my story and I go to conferences and I speak at conferences. And when I go to nonprofits and speak to groups or put it out there on social media, I constantly get people reaching out like, hey, I'm struggling with my mental health. Hey, I'm struggling with my physical health. And it's my job. I'm not an expert in any of those spaces. I've done training in different aspects of those spaces, but I'm not the expert. What I feel like my job then is that moment is to then build trust with that individual. Mm -hmm and then help them navigate those spaces. What does it look like to find a health coach? What does it look like to find a therapist? What does it look like to go to the doctor? You know, what does that look like for you? Because if you're reaching out, it probably means you just don't understand. You, you've got to the point of knowing you need help, but you're scared to find that next step. And those are the people that I really want to reach and help. Um, and so I connect myself with doctors and ways to find therapists, ways to find doctors, health coaches. Um, and then I connect those people with who I feel is best um, and who I think is going to be a good fit for them. So I kind of take my recruiter hat a little bit, I guess, <laughs> as I'm realizing I'm telling it. It's kind of what I do as a recruiter a little bit. I didn't even realize it until this moment. <laughs> um, it's finding those spaces for these people. Um, and so I help them be connected. And then I, you know, as I said, trust is a big part of it. And so I try to connect, stay connected with them at first too. Yeah. Um, I still have to take care of myself too. And um, sometimes I'm getting told very, very, very deep stories and things that can be very hard to process myself. And so I have to be very conscious of that, mm -hmm. um, that my job is not to fix these people. My job is to help them find the professionals that can get them the help they need. And so I constantly have to do a gut check of, hey, remember, you can't 
change everyone. You can't fix everyone. But what I do think I can do is help them find the people that can. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And it sounds like a very healthy thing for you. Like you have some healthy boundaries around this, which is so for anybody working in mental health or physical health for that matter, you have to have really strong personal boundaries, right? Like it's, it's because if you don't take care of yourself, then you can't help all these people who you want to help. So yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that's really huge. That's really huge. And I love that you just realized that you're like, you have your recruiter hat on. Cause as you're speaking, I'm like, that's what she does for work. She's just helping people in a different way. Like, this is what she does. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, don't, I, I don't know if I ever described it like that. And then I was like, wait, I guess this is what I do for a living too. So I guess I've just found a way to do it outside of my full-time job and I've just used some of those skills and now I use it in my platform and I just didn't ever realize that's what I was doing (laughs) it's awesome why not if you have the skill and you're able to help somebody with it why not do it right like we all have we everybody has that like magic thing about them we all have our own set of skills and if that's one of yours if you're a connector be a connector yeah right like that's super cool that's cool yeah okay Tasha if you could give advice to younger you, if you could give advice to 12 year old, you 15 year old, you 20 year old, you, whatever, what advice would that be? Do you think? Yeah, I've thought a lot about this and this is a a question that I've gotten in pageants as well. And so it's a question that I I think a lot about, Um, but what I would tell my younger self is, and at any point in that story, I told of kind of my self-love journey is to focus on what I love and care about. I think my life, not that I don't love my life today, I have an amazing life and I'm very fortunate to be where I am today, but I think my life would look different if rather than caring about what everyone else thought, I would have just focused on, hey, what do I love? What do I love and what am I passionate about? I probably would have found my passions way earlier in life Mm -hmm. if I would have just taken the time to say, hey, quit caring about what that person thinks of you what do you actually enjoy? What do you love? I probably would have, you know, found fitness much earlier in life. I probably would have done a lot of things very differently. As I said, I'm lucky and I love what I do and I love my life. And I'm glad that I went on the journey I did, Mm -hmm. but I wish I could tell myself, Hey, quit thinking about what everyone else thinks about you. Focus on what you love and what you enjoy and what brings you passion. And I could have maybe been helping people much earlier in life. Yeah. Yeah. And can you imagine if everybody, instead of spending, cause I think to some degree, most of us spend a good chunk of our like teenage years and our young adulthood wanting to impress people. I think it's, it's, I think it's okay. part of like, it's, it's part of that age, right? Like we're like yeah. trying to figure out who we are and we're trying to impress people and trying to make sure that everybody that we fit in. And like, there, it's like a really messy thing, but can you imagine if people earlier started being like, am I impressing myself? Am I happy yeah. with myself? Like if, if everybody just started asking that question, like the world would be such a drastically different place. And I think that a lot of the things that you're helping people with physical health, mental health, emotional stuff, all of that, it wouldn't be as prevalent. Maybe challenges in that area wouldn't be as prevalent because we would be sort of catching it at the beginning, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah. it's not about being selfish too like that's the thing when you when you find you're thinking hey am I impressing myself it's not about being selfish you're not being selfish and that's what I think some people are afraid of Mm -hmm. it's actually the the most opposite thing of being selfish because you can't love and take care of other people as a lot of us do in some way shape or form until you love and accept yourself and so you're actually doing everyone around you that you love and care about a service if you first start focusing on yourself 
I love that. That's beautiful. That's gorgeous. Thank and, you. I, and, I, and I couldn't agree more. Like you, you said it perfectly. You said it perfectly. So Tasha, is there anything else you would like to say before we wrap up? Is there anything else on your heart? Is there anything, any other bits of wisdom? Is there anything else that you want to say that we haven't touched on yet before we go? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to thank you. Um, thank you for what you're doing. You are impacting so many lives. Um, the people that listen to this, that watch this, you are making such a big impact. And I'm so glad that you've taken the point of your life to say, hey, I want to tell my story and other people's stories. So thank you for that. Um, but I said it once, but I, I will again say it because I think it's important to say self-love is a journey. Um, it is, there's no end point to it at any point in time. It is something that you're going to continually have to work on throughout your life. Um, you're going to have, as I said, those highs and those moments, but that's not the ending because if you focus on those being the ending, you're going to fall back into bad patterns. So continuing to work on self-love, continuing to focus on yourself first, take care of yourself first so you can take care of others and whatever that looks like for you. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Tasha, thank you. Thank you for your kind words. First off for myself, I, I do. I, I receive those and I'm very grateful for them. Thank you. Um, yeah. But just thank you for coming on and sharing yourself, for sharing your story, for sharing the path that you walked, because, you know, as you've said, our stories are healing. And when we share our story, it gives, it gives other people permission to do the same. And it normalizes the hard stuff because the hard stuff yeah. is it, it, like it's part of the journey and and when we can sort of understand that it's part of the journey and we know that we're not alone on it it can just I don't know I don't even know what I'm trying to say like like take the pressure off take the take the it can feel so overwhelming sometimes and it can just take it off and just be good with you makes you feel less alone less alone less I think alone. yeah when we're in those hard moments we it's so easy to feel like you're the only one going through it and when we go out and tell our stories like this, it maybe there's someone that's listening in some way, shape or form that feels very alone in that moment mm -hmm. and then realizes they're hearing someone else's story that's in the exact same place or was in that place that they can reach out to for help. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, Tasha, we're going to leave it there. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing yourself. I'm so grateful to you. You're awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All of the links mentioned during the episode are down in the show notes. Please make sure to go on over and check them out. Also, please remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And I would be forever grateful if you would go on over and leave us a review on iTunes as well. That's going to help this message reach more women. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Here is to you loving yourself.